Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a successful business, I've met directly or indirectly many successful people from entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes someone successful? Do we even know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create it for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Today's guest is Charles Willoughby. Uh, Charles was a pacey left-arm bowler who contributed to the South African bowling attack both in Tests and One Day Internationals in the early 2000s. Charles was born in South Africa. He went on to represent English counties Leicestershire, Essex and Somerset, where he now lives working as a financial advisor, as well as regularly turning out for the all-star cricket team Lashings. Welcome, Charles Willoughby. Thanks very much. Thanks really for having me. Really good to have you. Um, so... I'll start with the obvious question, uh, your career in cricket. How did that come about? You know, obviously heralding from South Africa. Uh, tell us about the early days of your childhood and your upbringing and what happened next. Okay, so um, cricket uh, as a profession for me actually happened by chance. Um, I never set out my stall to be a pro cricketer. Um, my parents were sort of low, mid lower middle class um, family in South Africa and um, and somebody told me if I was an accountant, I would have lots of money. So I <laughs> set up my stall to be an accountant. I was, I was fairly academic at school, um, did well with maths and accounting. Um, so I wanted to go off to university to be an accountant. Um, I was reasonably good at cricket, obviously, um, and played cricket for Western Province under 19 for two years. And my dad thought that he could get a, a bursary slash scholarship from a university because of my cricket ability, and that would enable me to study. Um, so off I went to Stellenbosch University, Stellenbosch University um, on a bursary scholarship, um, but I had to play cricket for their first team, um, which I did. And within a year of being at Stellenbosch, I was enjoying my studies. Uh, I got invited to trial for the professional team in the area called Borland. Um, and 20 years later, retired as a cricketer without an accounting degree. <laughs> so cricket sort of just happened. Uh, but there's lessons in that in any case, um, which I'm sure you're proud of me as we have this discussion. So, And I wouldn't change it for the world. The 20 years I had as a pro cricketer was fantastic. The people I've met, the places I've been, fantastic. Um, and in a way, I'm glad I was an accountant. So what, did, what is South Africa? Because it is a fabulous country. If, if those listening have not been, they really should try to take the opportunity to go at some point. What did, what did South Africa and its culture teach you in life and, and in sports and all the things you've achieved? Well, yeah, South Africa is an interesting place. I mean, the, the economy is not very good. Um, and obviously everybody knows the political history of South Africa. Um, so it teaches you to, to really be resilient um, and to go and work really hard to be successful at something that you, you want to be a successful at. Um, it, it is a, a tough country to live in currently. Um, obviously I grew up in the, the 70s, 80s and 90s where things were a little bit different. Um, and although it was still a tough country to, to live in, um, we didn't have some of the issues we've got now. Um, so people are very entrepreneurial in South Africa. Um, they're willing to go the extra mile just to put food on the table. Um, so 
things that I suppose it can teach you is to, to work really hard to achieve your goals. Um, and you're not really spoon fed many things over there where many first world countries, there's, there's lots of things to rely on to help put food on the table. Where over there, there's, there's none of that. But the, but the the transition from South Africa to England, you know, two completely different cultures, that must have been quite a tough, must be quite challenging for you as, a, as a young man. Definitely. Um, you know, growing up uh, as a professional sportsman, I sort of grew apart from my family. Not that we don't have a fantastic relationship. We do, but I, I grew to a stage where I didn't rely on, on needing to see them or be around them all the time. Um, so coming across to the UK um, for me was a little bit easier than for my wife um, where in theory I took her away from her family. Um, when I was a sportsman, she used to come and travel with me, be in different countries for various periods of time. So sort of took her away from her regular cups of tea with her mother and seeing her dad, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we chose to live in the UK um, more for our kids. Uh, we felt that they would have a better future um, and an equal opportunity future in, in a first world country than in South Africa. Yes, we love South Africa and we will never ever tell people not to go there. Um, I tell everybody I meet, they've got to visit South Africa. It's fantastic. Um, but just we felt as a family unit um, and with the kids, uh, they would have a better future over here. So you, uh, one of the things I hear from you, Charles, is that um, you didn't necessarily aspire to be a cricketer when you were younger. It, it happened, but clearly there were some attributes that you had that lent itself very well to cricket and the sport that you obviously love. So tell us a little bit about the transition from your original aspirations, because it sounds to me as if you've achieved a great deal of success without necessarily originally having a goal, a burning ambition, which we often hear from guests. Yeah. You know, I was very focused. I had a goal. I've been very tunnel visioned about it, but not not necessarily so in your case. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite interesting. And I, I tell the story quite often as um, I, I've looked back on my career like, wow, how did that happen? How did 20 years suddenly happen when normally, like you said, people have set this massive goal to play for England, play for South Africa, play for Australia, whatever, and then put all the work in and then achieve that goal one day. Um, for me, looking back on it, I, I realized that, yes, I had an ability. Somebody believed in me enough to give me an opportunity and then instilled a belief in myself that I was good enough. And then I set the goal to take wickets regularly, you know, set huge targets each year to try and achieve as, a, as an opening bowler. Um, and then along the way to hopefully play for South Africa. Um, but there, there was clear differences in a lot of people that I meet in sport. They do set these huge goals. And, and I'll give an example of uh, a close friend of mine, Jacques Callis. When I met him at 13 years old, he used to tell us that he was going to make his debut for South Africa against the West Indies at Newlands. Um, so at 13 years old, we sort of laughed that off. Yeah, whatever, Jacques sort of thing. Uh, where for me, it was like, oh, I'd love to play for South Africa. And if you put those two um, goals, if you will, next to each other one is very clear focused and he's he's got a clear path the other one's like a bit of a hazy sort of daydream type of thing and i'm not surprised he achieved what he achieved in sport because he had that goal i eventually got to play for south africa because i started setting goals after somebody believed in me um, and i started to believe in myself more and more um, and ultimately my performances led to me to being selected for south africa where jacques had a clear-cut goal from the early age of 13 years old. Um, so the, the big learning curve for me 
if I had to look back at it, was maybe if I wanted to be a cricketer earlier doors to set those massive goals. But, you know, as you mentioned, I wanted to be an accountant. So yeah. I went off to university to study accountancy. Um, and then cricket just happened. And then suddenly I started setting goals and things started to fall into place. So that's a big lesson. You talk a lot about, um, already, about some of the great players you've played with. 20 years in cricket, you are going to play with the likes of Jacques Cullis and loads of other people which I'm I'm sure you look back on with an immense amount of pride because to compete at that level with so many great players is is testament to what you've achieved um would you say that there's a kind of a an attribute is is there a particular characteristic that runs through a lot of these really great players over and above what you've already been talking about uh, serious work ethic for one um and an um, amazing ability to handle failure um, the people that I've always see struggle on a cricket field haven't handled failures that well. Um, and I, I have sort of two graphs that I talk about. Um, somebody that handles failure well has the odd bad day. Somebody that doesn't handle failure very well has a lot of bad days. So the graph's almost inverted, if you will. And when I, when I talk to, to young cricketers who are mentor from time to time, I, I always talk about this graph and, you know, I try and visualize it for them. But um, ultimately, if you can handle your failures well, and learn from them, you'll be back on the, on the right path pretty soon after. If you don't handle it that well and you dwell on them and it's always in the back of the mind, you're going to have more and more bad days because you haven't put it to bed yet. Um, and the successful ones have an amazing ability to work hard. Uh, in, incredible. I mean, again, I'll mention Jacques at 13, 14 years old on a Friday afternoon where everybody's rushing off home. They just want to get away from school. Jacques was in the net every Friday afternoon, um, probably Saturday, probably Sunday, we don't know, because he put in all those hours behind the scenes that nobody will ever know about. Um, another one is is a good friend of mine, Craig Kieswetter. Um, I only learned in the last, I think six years ago, um, I met one of his old coaches in South Africa by chance and he said, ah, oh, how's Kiesy doing? And I said, ah, oh, he's good. You know, he's obviously had to retire for his eye, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he said, do you, do you know that I used to go to Craig's house at 6 a.m. in the morning and he would do an hour net session with me in his back garden and then he would go off to school every single day of the summer. Nobody knows that about Craig. He went on to play for, for England, win the World Cup for England, but people just think he was naturally talented. But he put in all of those hours and hours of hard work. That's, that's a really fascinating point and obviously a, a thread that runs through all the successful people that you know, including yourself, if I may say. You also talk about failure whatever failure looks and feels like how do you how do you deal with those road bumps in life so for you um you know as a as a fast bowler um pounding in every day when you're playing cricket off a long run up inevitably injuries blighted your career well i wouldn't say blighted but they affected your career how do you how do you pick yourself up when you've had a bad day at the office yeah, I mean, when I look at back during my playing days, if I had a bad day, you know, I would I would try not to dwell on it. I would try and understand why I had a bad day um, and put it to bed really, really quickly. Um, I always tell these young bowlers that I mentor that what I used to do if I bowled a bad ball that went for four or went for six, instead of the bowling the next ball all angry or emotional, I would stop myself at the back of my run-up, take a deep breath, put it to bed, and then bowl the next ball. So I was clearly focused on, on the next delivery. I tried to do that if I had a bad day, I'd go home, I'd have a glass of wine or a beer and I'd just analyze what went wrong. And then the next day I'd arrive at the ground, generally taking a walk into the ground, clear my head, 
get some blood in my legs. And then by the time I got there, the, the previous day was gone. I wasn't dwelling on it. I was starting afresh every time with a clear mind. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And with lessons in life, if you, if you do have failures, you've got to, you've got to look at it and say, why have I failed? What have I done wrong? How can I get better? How can I make that not happen again? But you can't, in my opinion, you can't dwell on it constantly because it's going to affect moving forward. It's going to keep holding you back until you actually le learn the lesson that was meant to be learned and then put it to bed. So you're, you, you have a new career now. Um, so you've transitioned from sports and though you still play a lot of sports, so we'll come back to lashings in a moment, but you've got a, a new career now uh, as a financial advisor. And um, there is a particular reason, isn't there, why you've gone into that line of work? Because as a sportsman, you've experienced... Um, to some degree, a lack of good advice through your playing career. Would that yeah. be fair to say? Well, there, w there wasn't any advice really. Um, so uh, what I did realise soon after cricket is I could have been much more wise with, with the money that I was earning. Um, but at the time you think it's never going to end. You think this is amazing. You just think, you know, this, the bank's full all the time <laughs> and you don't have anything to worry about. Where if, you, if I'd got some advice along the way, walking out of the game would have been a lot less pressurized than than it actually is because once you make that announcement that you're retiring or you lose your contract or you get injured um the next day is quite a scary thing because th there's no more money coming in uh but you've developed a lifestyle that you'd like to hopefully continue um so i, I looked at the, at this industry and i thought well i could help a lot more people uh, in sport or just general life uh, by giving them some good advice on what they should and shouldn't be doing with their money. Um, and, you know, hopefully moving forward, I'll help a lot of people make better decisions before their sporting career ends. Well, I, I have to say we, we know each other well. Um, and if I can say this to you, um, I hope this doesn't embarrass you in any way, but that, that likability factor and that trustworthiness, which you clearly have, you're highly respected by your peers in sport, uh, including, if I can say so, the, the Lashings team, Tell us a little bit about the the lashing scene. That must be a fun experience, right? Playing with, I mean, some still amazing cricketers. Oh yeah, I mean, it is fantastic. I mean, everybody that plays for lashings, uh, the prerequisite is that you have to have represented your country. Um, so quite often you're walking into a dressing room, some guys you've never met but before, but you've played against, or some guys played in a different era. Um, but walking into that dressing room, there's is immediate synergy because we've all been through the same sort of journey. Uh, we've all been in a, in a team environment, uh, a fun environment. You're able to take the mickey out of somebody you've never even met. So hanging out with the, the likes of Gordon Greenwich or John Embry on a, on a regular basis to me is like, wow, I can't believe this to them. It's like, Oh, another, another game of cricket. But it, I find it amazing that I can walk back into an environment with a whole group of people that are have been on a similar pathway to me because as a professional sportsman, when that day comes that you announce retirement or get injured, you, you quite quickly switched off from the club or the, the team you were playing for because you're no longer a commodity. Um, and your friends don't switch you off obviously, but you no longer in their circle anymore as often as you used to be. You used to see them every single day, but now they've got their focus on their careers um, with their, their teammates that they've currently got. So you sort of feel a little bit left out as you should because you're not you're not on the field with them but to walk back into a, an environment like lashings is is awesome because you get 
those moments back again um, to spend the day with a bunch of cricketers, have fun, take the mick out of each other and go and win a game of cricket. Mm. So you're still, you're still picking up lots of life lessons, if you like, from, from these guys that you're playing with on a, I mean, still fairly regular basis. Yeah, I definitely. Say. I mean, they're all on a different journey. I mean, there, there's not one financial advisor amongst them. Mm. Um, they're all doing various, various things in their life. Um, and, you know, they, they all pass on lessons. I mean, we sit in the change room before the games in between our coaching sessions and our lunches. And we all, we, we talk cricket. We, we just talk about what's going on in everybody's lives. And, you know, it's just, it's an amazing environment to actually still learn. Mm-hmm. So I'm still learning about cricket, even though I played for 20 years. Um, and it's almost weird that I still want to be, be better than I used to be at, at cricket. So I, I pick up tips from, from bowlers that are in the change room or from batters that, you know, just give a little clue away as to why they, they played a certain shot or how they, they went about their business. So even though I'm retired from the game, I'm still trying to improve. And is Harvey your son aspiring to be as good as his dad was at cricket? Well, Harvey's only five, so he's he wants to just be like his big brother. Um, Cole, my eldest son, he absolutely loves cricket and he, he constantly tells us he's either going to be a cricketer or a cricket coach. Um, he does represent the county at the moment and for the age group um, and he has a massive, massive desire to captain England. Um, he's told one of his coaches at the school that that's his goal, is to captain England, um, which which is incredible at, at his young age that mm. he's got that goal in place. And who knows, one day he might work hard enough and, and turn out to be the captain of England. I can hear Jack Callis's words ringing uh, in our ears when we hear Cole speak, speak in those terms. Any c- career highlights? I mean, you've achieved an awful lot in the game. Anything that really stands out for you? Um, so why? Well, obviously, you, when you make your debut for your country is, is a special moment. Um, and the first game I ever played went really well. Subsequent games didn't go as well. Um, and, you know, I've, I've reflected on those and, and understood why I didn't do as well, um, which, which is fine. Um, I always say that it, at least I ran the race. You know, it's like going to the Olympics and coming last in, in the 100 meter sprint. At least you got there and at least you ran. Um, you might not have won it. Um, Making my debut was a, a career highlight. Um, taking four wickets and four balls against Natal in Durban, um, being the first person since World War One, I, I mean World War Two, to to do that in South Africa, was a special moment. Um, and and playing at Somerset, um, I I loved every moment that I played there. Um, it's just got a special place in my heart, and I, and I'm glad that I can go back there on a regular basis, and still feel very welcome there. Well, I mean, obviously, new career now. Um, aspirationally, what goals? If, you, if any of you set yourself, where, where do you see the next sort of five, 10 years of your life going? Well, it's, it's yeah, difficult, difficult to say um, goals in terms of the next 10, 10 years. I want to become a really successful financial advisor um, and one day be able to retire um, and live a very, very comfortable life. So I know those are a little bit hazy at the moment. There's little mini goals that I'm setting myself along the way. Um, but ultimately I want to be able to retire in the UK, um, and not have a financial worry. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do, helping my clients achieve that. Um, and there's various things obviously that go along with that, but in terms of the career, um, I'm taking it one step at a time at the moment. So setting small goals, um, and then working out the ultimate goal, working backwards from that. And that's an interesting point because a lot of people who do achieve really great things that a lot of people think are probably out of reach 
often approach it in the same way that you've just outlined, which is, you know, small steps towards a to, towards a bigger goal. Are you a great advocate of taking things one piece at a time, one step at a time? Definitely. I mean, if I look back on, on cricket, when I became successful, I, I started setting a, a big goal, which I wanted to achieve for the season, whether it's 50 or 60 wickets. Um, and then I worked it back. How many wickets I had to take in a game? How many wickets I had to take in, a, in an innings? How many wickets I had to take in a session? Um, and that gave me uh, accountability as well throughout the, the season and throughout my career in terms of where I was um, in achieving those goals. Um, and I think if I can take that into my personal life, having a massive goal ultimately, um, and then working it back into smaller bite-sized chunks that you can assess yourself regularly to see if you're ahead or behind the curve mm. um, is, is a good way of, of working it out. Mm. So um, obviously a fairly well-defined career path ahead of you and obviously good luck with all you're looking to, to do. Um, I know you do a lot still in sports, in cricket, and you're obviously nurturing your boys. Family is important to you as well, I understand. How, how important is family to the success you enjoyed in sport, but enjoy now in business? Uh, it, it's incredibly important. Um, it helps keep you grounded, um, even though the, the days where you are incredibly successful in the sporting ground, you think you're un invincible. <laughs> you come home and you've got the kids and, and, and the wife that sort of just brings you back down to earth a little bit to just know that's exactly why you're doing it all. Um, and you know, it, it gives you a reason to get up every single morning um, and a reason, you know, to to have fun on the weekends is is your family's there. To, you put in all that time and effort during the week, hard work to have the fun and an enjoyment that family does give you. So, being a good dad, uh, transitioning to the, and developing this new career opportunity, helping others as you've described, would that kind of in its entirety be the definition of success for you you know enjoying a journey with with a defined outcome yeah i mean you know leaving sport actually made me realize that life isn't all about you know loads and loads of money life is about um enjoying fantastic moments with the people that you love um and if you work hard enough, you'll achieve things in life. You'll earn lots and lots of money if you work hard enough and, and do the right things. So definition of success is not necessarily about the bank balance or, you know, how many wickets you took, how many runs you scored. It's about the journey that, that you've been on. Um, how, have you enjoyed it? What memories have you got to take away from it? Um, and what stories have you got to tell, really? So enjoying what you do comes across loud and clear, a very important part of that process for you. Yeah, uh, definitely. If you're not enjoying it, there's, there's no point in even doing it. Um, so whatever you, I, I've always thought is if you're a batter, if you're a bowler, if you, um, an accountant, if you're a lawyer, if you don't enjoy it, there's, there's, there's actually no point in putting all the hard work and effort that goes into it, um, to do it. Um, I've met so many people that are successful in life. They've studied to be a doctor, they've studied to be a lawyer, but they've never ever practiced in, in their lives. They've gone on to be successful in something else that they do really, really love. Um, and ultimately the enjoyment factor has to be there for you to actually want to get up, want to go and make those phone calls, want to go and sit in front of somebody or want to go bowl the ball, want to go and face somebody bowling 90 mile an hour. Um, if it's not there, you, you're not going to be successful. One, th one thing that I get from you, which has comes across um, very clearly is that uh, you're not a necessarily great reflector um, in terms of your performance and the performances, that was a very important part of the process. But that ability to get to the end of your run up, stop, clear your mind of what went before 
and then repeat the process is, is a really fascinating insight into the mind, if you like, of a successful person in sport in particular. Um, but bearing in mind that you, you, you have that ability to draw a line for want of a better expression. Um, a question that we ask all our guests, Charles, is if you were having a conversation with yourself now, but you were quite a bit younger, let's say you're a teenager and you were giving advice to yourself, but now you have the benefit of all of your life experiences up until this point, what advice would you be giving yourself knowing all the things that you, you now know? Um, yeah, I mean, really re great question. Um, and I've sort of reflected, I mentioned earlier about why I, uh, looking back on why I didn't or why I wasn't as successful in, in the subsequent games I played for South Africa. Um, and part of that was I got really, really nervous and I was really concerned about what the TV pundits were saying about me. Um, and that sort of led me to be very tense when I was bowling. Um, but if I look back on the first game I played, the first three balls I felt like that. And then I just, I took a breath and I realized that I would, was bowling to Jacques Callis every day, bowling to Herschel Gibbs, bowling to Gary Kirsten and getting these people out regularly because they weren't in my team at the time, they were in the opposition team. Um, and therefore I could do it on, on the big stage. And then I, I went and performed that game. But then the subsequent games, it was back to worried about what people are saying, you know, am I good enough to be a, um, and never took that moment to put it to bed mm. and just continue with a clear mind. Um, so the, the lesson for me in terms of my cricket career was, would be that you are, you were good enough. Um, you wouldn't have been there if you, if people didn't think you were good enough. So therefore, why should you care what people were going to say about you? Um, and if I had taken that um, advice back then or realized that back then, I might have had a, a much longer international career than I did. Um, but looking to life out of um, sport, if you will, um, I suppose a lesson would be that I am good enough. I've got my diploma and therefore I am able to do a very good job. And I need to always remember that and not have any doubts that I'm not doing a, a very good job. Mm. Well, everything I know about you, that's certainly the case. And, you know, what I've got from, from today's conversation, and which I thank you for enormously, is, you know, that, that belief in yourself that comes from other people believing in you. That was a really important message that I got. And then enjoying that, that process, um, not beating yourself up too much, not worrying too much about what other people think, but just really being focused on getting the job done, enjoying the, the journey along the way. So I want to thank you very much for a really fascinating insight into the world of Charles Willoughby. Not many of us have heard from you before. Um, so it's really lovely to get a, a fascinating insight into um, a terrific guy, if I may say, because we know each other quite well. Um, and best wishes to you, family, um, certainly in terms of your career moving forward. And hopefully you'll come back and join us again at some stage in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me here today. Thank you, Charles. That was the Sandro Forte podcast. And our guest today, Charles Willoughby. Brilliant. Don't forget... Lots more interviews to come in the following weeks and months. Remember to check us out on social media, Sandro's podcast, same on all channels. Please share your stories, thoughts, experiences, and email me, hello at sandrospodcast.com. Finally, please, please leave a review on the podcast on iTunes and tell us what you'd like more of in the future. Until next time. <laughs>